Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is a conversation Rory had with James O'Toole, one of the residents of Tahani House who's facing a mass eviction soon. So this one's not just a podcast, we're asking you to sign the petition calling on the government to make sure they keep the eviction ban. And please contact your local TD and tell them that this is a cruel decision that will have repercussions in the next general election should, should they not do so. I also have to ask you for your support. The Tortoise Shack has no ads, no sponsors, and we rely entirely on you to keep going. So while you're listening, click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Throw us the price of a fancy cup of coffee. Try it for the month and help keep these mics on and these shows on the road. And you get access to lots of additional content, including this week alone. We rejoined by Richard Murphy in the UK to talk about a new form of quantitative easing. And Konstantin Gordiev was back to talk about the contagion that's already in the system, in the bank financial system. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of economics talk this week on top of everything else. There's also an exclusive podcast with Jack Power, David Hall and Martin Howey, one of the survivors of St. John's Ambulance. Uh, and that's available right now alongside our entire back catalogue on patreon.com forward slash tortoise Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. Delighted to be joined back in the podcast by James O'Toole, who listeners will probably remember. He was on recently enough. He is one of... um, 26, I think, households it is now who are still um, living in Tathany House in Dublin 8, who were served an eviction notice um, by their landlord and are facing eviction in um, coming weeks, James. Is it uh, a couple June, of months? June. June, June sorry, the 2nd. Right, June. Yeah, June 2nd. Listen, thanks a million for coming back on. Um, you messaged me after I was on the late, late, and you were just going how hard it is, um, the reality of it, living it. How are things there now? Well, I mean, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of stress. You know, we did uh, an internal canvas uh, the other day, last Monday, you know, just to kind of call around and see how people were getting on and just to talk to the neighbours. And a lot of people, you know, they just don't know what they're going to do. And they're literally, it's almost like they're frozen, like a rabbit in the headlights. They're so in fear. And it's, it's literally like a rabbit in the headlights. There's this car crash coming towards them. And they don't know what to do and they're just frozen. So people are saying to me, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. What do you do when you're homeless? Where do you go? Like people don't know. Some of us who may be around campaigns and stuff might know that you go to Parkgate Street and you hand yourself in and you report to homeless services and you have to phone a number or you go to this hostel, you go to that hostel. The vast majority of people haven't a clue uh, what to do uh, and they're terrified. Uh, and it's obscene that everyone in the block, we were all sitting there glued to our TV screens. We were listening to the radio. You know, everybody says to me, we were all fingers crossed as bad as the government is. They couldn't possibly not throw us a lifesaver. They couldn't possibly just let us continue to drown and, uh, you know, fall under this stress and the, the fear that we're feeling. Uh, but they did it. They did it. I can't believe they did it. They lifted the eviction ban. They yeah, could have given us a reprieve and they didn't. It's, yeah. it's, and I was thinking about it that, you know, like during the famine, there was a couple of years during the famine where there was the massive eviction of about 250,000 people. And I, I was thinking, 
seven to ten thousand households. I mean, they're households, not individuals. So you're talking mm. about, you know, families, you're talking about people with kids, you're talking about couples. So this is thousands upon thousands of people being evicted. This is this is unprecedented. This is like going back to the famine times, and that's no exaggeration. No, it's not. It's not at all. Um and when you do start to look at the numbers, um, you know, when up to ten thousand households over the next year, you know, going through and and we don't know how many more were served um yeah. by the RTB because we only have the figures. Obviously, they came out Friday um and they were truly shocking. Like even you know, I think even homelessness services themselves and charities were surprised. Though Threshold had said their figures were um, last year because they ha- obviously have up to date. They're they're monitoring it. The RTB is slower in terms of uh, collating the data, but they have direct. They had it was over five thousand individual um, households that contacted them in yeah. the entire of 2022 and obviously that's you know if you think that not clearly not every household who is facing an eviction notice is going to call threshold so it probably does indicate you know we could be talking of upwards you know like it's difficult you could, like if you if we continue on the basis of the 5000 that were um issued in the 3 months of uh, July August September of last year you could be talking of 15,000 households, which is upwards of 30,000 people, um, potentially, you know, being evicted, uh, as you say, into where? Into homelessness? Into where? Yeah. Um, uh, like these because, are... Uh, yeah, if you, if, you, if you look at, like, because, obviously, you know, everyone in our block, because we're facing mass eviction, we've been, you know, some of my neighbours have been looking at Daft and, you know, hoping that they might see something, but, you know, they, they can't find anything. There's seven to ten thousand households facing eviction over the coming weeks and months uh, after the ban ends, yeah. and there's sixty three properties in Dublin on Daft for under one thousand five hundred. Sixty three properties under 63 properties under one thousand five hundred. When I checked the other day, sixty three. Yeah. So as you said, you're going to have seven to ten thousand, maybe even more, as you said, because you know uh, of the nature of the figures. Seven to ten thousand households competing for, you know, a few dozen flats. Yeah, it, it's really like the numbers really don't, uh, they don't add up. And when you talk, like the thing I was writing about it, the Irish Times article was when I was thinking about it was, you know, all the time they bang on about evidence-based policy. You know, when you make policy, <laughs> the starting point is the evidence. Where is the yeah. evidence to back it up? Where is the research? And as far as I can see, the only research that they had was the lobbying by landlords. Yeah. And and the figures on the amount of landlords who are leaving. Yeah. And and they then drew um the analysis from that. And and I only got snippets from like we only get snippets from the Irish Times and, and uh different media sources of what the memo that was presented to cabinet by because i don't i don't think anyone has seen that like what was the memo presented by uh the minister for housing what was the memo presented by the officials and it was a reported that the officials were in you know quotes concerned about the impact of the eviction ban on landlords they were concerned why like where was the evidence behind that concern and the fact that they had no evidence whatsoever on the numbers of households who would be made homeless. Like we're putting figures on this based on extrapolation of RTB, but this is the state. Like they should have those numbers and be making 
decisions, but they they just um and, and when you think through those numbers, and I, I looked at Daft as well there um before I went on the late late, and it was I there was one it said there was one thousand two hundred properties across the whole of Ireland yeah. available one thousand two hundred, but when you went into the detail of those, lots of them were student accommodation, and when you tried to click on them, they weren't actually available. Um, yeah. Lots of them were um, investor fund, uh, you know, for like just utterly bonkers money, like three and a half grand, two and a half grand for a studio. Um, so even in terms of the total households and computing, like, you know, and going, where are they going to go? It just seems they, like, I don't know if you've heard anything since, like the actual evidence, what evidence did they make this decision on? And also, like they're they're giving us the same line they gave us uh, after the bank bailout that we were told that if we took the harsh medicine, things would improve. You know, oh, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and yet we suffered a decade of devastation of you know, particularly you know, working class communities were deprived of community workers' resources. You know, it was a huge wholesale devastation of of uh, communities' lives. Lots of construction workers thrown onto the. Which they all accept now was actually the wrong thing. Now that we look back on mature recollection. Yeah, exactly. And now they're saying, take your harsh medicine again. And you know what? It'll make things far worse in the short term. And you may feel a bit ill, but you'll get better later. We're always told that there's this promised land coming down the road. But it, it doesn't work that way because, you know, as you said, they're doing what they're doing because they were lobbied by cuckoo funds and they were lobbied by, you know, vested interests. And the whole narrative, the whole argument over the last few weeks, apart from a few voices like yourself, which is why I messaged you when you're on the Late Late Show, because it was such a relief to hear someone talk in sense after the whole narrative is how do we incentivize landlords? How do we incentivize landlords? Landlords are leaving the market. But no one asks the question, why are we hostage to landlords? You know, why did we end up in a situation where we're necessarily asking, how do we stop landlords executing the market? Why don't we have a base of social housing like, you know, other European countries, like, like, for example, Sweden or or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that, you know, and I was trying to extrapolate again and make the point that if you think forward on this policy decision that so you're making a decision to throw people um, like yourself into yeah. homelessness on the basis that at some point this will incentivize landlords to either stay in the market or new landlords to come in and buy up property, but which leaves you in. I, I hear that. I'll be down in a minute. Uh, the kids interjecting going um, issues. I need to deal with this one second with yeah. a screaming one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that there, James. Uh, I, uh, you know what? I always think when, um, you know, the kids come screaming at you and they're not screaming at you, but like, you know, the little one is sick at the moment and uh, not, not very sick, just an, an ear, ear infection, whatever. And they're so miserable and always think like, how the hell do families in emergency accommodation or yeah. deal with any sort of, you know, kids been sick and stressed and upset and it just... You know, it really just is is so wrong. Um, but we were saying there, in terms of, you know, the um, the impact of this and the lack of the evidence base behind the decision. 
And oh yeah, in, in terms of, you know, I was making the point that when we look forward and saying the base on which they were making this, the decision is on this idea of incentivizing supply. And, and they've actually been making the exact same argument since, you know, 2012, 2013, when rents started rising again. Oh, we can't control rents because, you know, we need to incentivize the supply of the rental um, of private landlords. And you're going, but if if the part of why we're in this crisis is because we're over-reliant on private landlords, yeah. why are we then trying to incentivize more in and actually make housing more attractive for landlords to buy? And I've even heard some people, you know, who would be uh, broadly supportive of, of our general, you know, of general uh, support for social housing, um, also making the argument. And I think some of the NGOs have been forced into making the point that, oh, we yeah. need to give something to landlords because we need to attract in small landlords because they're we're so reliant on them. But actually, if you make, for example, give tax breaks to landlords or what we're doing now, removing the eviction ban, so it's more attractive to invest in, you're just completing the cycle because they then with money outbid first time buyers, outbid people trying yeah. to buy a home. And it just you continue the cycle. But also the argument from the government, if you th- if you break it down the way you've said it, there is, look, you know, we, the government, are so willing to abuse tenants that we're willing to allow l- allow a massive wage uh, of evictions. Uh, so don't worry, landlords, if you want to enter the market, it'll be grand. You know, we're willing to we're willing to mistreat tenants. The I think that's exactly it. The, the question is what level of um, suffering a government is willing to impose on its most vulnerable and most marginalized in contrast to saying, you know, well, we have to do this. And I actually was really struck by um, there was a Fianna Fáil councillor interviewed for Waterford local radio. And it was reported there today where he said, um, oh, I had loads of uh, landlords lobbying me, you know, coming in, meeting me in recent weeks and that, you know, it, it's it. this is a painful decision for everyone. And you're going, no, it's not. And also, yeah. thanks for being very honest about why you're making the decision. And also, it's, it's like they talk about how difficult the decision it was. And I saw um, a news talk piece on Pascal Donoghue and, you know, how hard this decision has been for the government. And I was thinking... Well, it's not as hard as my life is going to be in the next few weeks. Uh, and I don't even have, you know, children, as you said, like, you know, having a load of children and considering emergency accommodation. But my realistic options are, right, if we don't win at the RTB and let's say the eviction is going to go ahead on June the 2nd, there's nowhere to rent. There's nowhere on daft. Uh, I can save all I want over the next few weeks. But if there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to go. Uh, and so I'm forced to ring the doorbell of my 70-something-year-old parents. And let's say I say to my parents, I crash here for four weeks while I look for a flat. But the wave of evictions is so big that I'm stuck there for months instead of weeks. In other words, in your 40s, you're forced to go back uh, and knock on the door of your parents who are in their 70s, who shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to be still looking after their children. My parents, after working their entire life and paying tax their entire life, should be entitled to their retirement. They shouldn't have to worry about me. And they are. They're terrified for what's going to happen to me, you know, because that's, that's just the way parents are, you know. Of course. And, and you know, and again, I, I hear, you know, you're not unique in that. And 
you know, it's terrible to say in some way you're fortunate that you have parents going yeah. back to to go back to and that who you have a relationship with. And I just did a, a podcast there with um, a postdoctoral researcher from Galway who is originally from Libya. And yeah. she is um, facing a situation where her and her partner and her kids um, are they're facing eviction by the 1st of May. Um, and they she she like is literally just doesn't know where to go, doesn't know where to learn. She said she's or where to go um, because with the kids, she's just like I, I, she can't even think about emergency yes. accommodation. But she actually went into Galway City Council and they told her we've no emergency accommodation for families. Oh, so, my God. You know, because there's no system in place for families, any level of families outside of Dublin. There yeah. is the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive, which has been obviously responding and supporting and working on and providing emergency accommodation for uh, many years for homeless families. But there are parts of Ireland, Limerick, Galway, Waterford, which have no real systems set up to support any level of numbers of families being made homeless. So, you know, it's not it is not um, an exaggeration that Focus Ireland and others have said you're going to see families being forced to go into Garda stations um, to present and, you know, become homeless. And the question is, where do they go then? And and, and it yeah. does come back to that human question. Like, it has to. Like, is this what we're saying we're going to do? Is this what the government yeah. is saying? This is an acceptable price. And that's the thing. Like, the, 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 they're almost taking an attitude of, when it comes to tenants, when it comes to workers, when it comes to ordinary people, that everything should just be left to the market that we'll just let the market sort itself out. But yet when it comes to landlords, when it comes to banks, you know, I just saw Silicon Valley Bank getting bailed out, you know, this week. And it just made me think that, you know, it's the same logic that says we have to incentivize developers by the land development agency gifting them public land. We have to incentivize landlords by giving them tax breaks. And it's this whole logic of, you know, that the state intervenes to help businesses, to help landlords, to help developers. But the state, basically leaves ordinary people to the competition of the market and you know the 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 tragic consequences of leaving everything to the market that we're going to face over the coming weeks and months I, and i do you know feel that at some level like i just want to go we have to get them to change their mind on this like even you know i don't know what appeal to some sense of like politically they I, they must be surprised at some level that there has been quite a very, you know, quite a strong public response yeah. and public, you know, outrage over it and a sense of shock that like most people and even all the journalists, you know, expected them to extend it. There was almost a general acceptance yeah. that, oh, they're going to extend it. And then they didn't. And it was like, what have they done? You know, it's, you know, even the, you know, the editorial of the Irish Times was even saying, you know, what are they doing? Like this is, you know, in terms of pure humanity, this is a decision that, you know, landlords can work it out. And of course, if there's a situation where, and they could have, and as far as I know, Sinn Féin had put amendments in on the, on the a bill on this, that, you know, they could have brought uh, measures whereby a family, you know, if, it, if it's the landlord's primary home and they're moving in from abroad, you can work something out and you could even deal yeah. with the numbers of landlords in that situation, you know, that they didn't need to do this. Yeah, and I, 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 I think that, Whenever a government makes a decision like this, I think you can make them change their minds because when after the bank bailout, the government's decided to take the medical card off pensioners, 15,000 pensioners assembled at the doll uh, and it made the government change their mind. When Enda Kenny said we'd all be paying a water bill of 500 euro, 
you know, 100,000 people mobilized on 12 occasions and it made them change their mind. So uh, although, you know, when the next election comes, I'd like to see people vote for parties that aren't full of uh, landlords invested interests. I think we can't wait till then. We have to force them to change their mind now. Uh, and I think there's there's two demonstrations coming up. There's a raise the roof demonstration on March on March twenty uh, fourth outside the Dáil, and then there's the cost of living coalition uh, protest the day the ban ends, uh, April the first at one o'clock uh, outside the Dáil. Uh, and I just think that if, if if everyone that's facing eviction, and I know it's very stressful and it's hard to think about you know protesting when you're worried about the roof over your head, but if we all just got together and gathered at one or both of those protests, I think it would send a strong message to this uh, government that, you know, they've, this is a step too far. I, I did see, as you said, one headline in one of the newspapers said this could be the biggest mistake this coalition has made. I think politically it is. You know, I, I think that app they've what they're making, the decision, this this decision is so, I think, cruel and unnecessary that yeah. it will be seen. I, I think it will be seen in history as one of the most callous decisions an Irish government has ever made, that it yeah. consciously knew it was making a decision that allowed thousands, tens of thousands, become homeless or yeah. being forced into homelessness when it didn't have to do it. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, governments talk about their legacy and their, you know, I think this is going to be the government's legacy. Yeah, and I I think like you know if you remember um, watching reeling in reeling in the years and you see like you know a government in the early eighties brought down by putting a tax on children's shoes, you know that, that there's the, sometimes they do thing that goes too far, but those kind of things, even those kind of things that previously brought governments down, pale into insignificance in relation to making you know the largest mass eviction of people uh, since since this country saw the famine years, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is. And I, and I hope that, you know, they that that pressure comes on and I think it could come on in many, many different forms. And I'd, yeah. you know, appeal to listeners in, in whatever way they can to highlight their opposition to it. And people can do it on social media simply by sharing, you know, that they, they don't think the eviction ban should be um, lifted to keep it in place. Really, really, if you can, you know, do Share it around, you know, just put even a comment, a tweet, uh, you know, on Instagram, text your friends, you know, neighbours, whoever, just say, look, you know, this eviction ban is wrong. And contact your local TD, you know, it really does have an impact if they get a call from you. I know Uplift will be organising things as well. Um, and that's what I think, yeah, having like political pressure on all your public representatives is hugely yeah. important. Uh, and also like on a practical level, like myself and uh, some of the tenants here have joined CATU, the yeah. tenants union, yeah. just because it links you in with other people facing eviction. Yeah. And, you know, the the kind of practical preparation for the prospect that some landlords sometimes don't respect the law. And, you know, sometimes you have to be organised just in case. So we're kind of, here in Tatney House, we're just trying to cover every angle. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll go to the cost of living protests you know, we're going to continue our own protests at Dublin City Council, but also, you know, we're going to link in with other tenants and try and get organised. But as you said, it's like, do everything you can. Contact TDs, protest, you know, uh, get petitions going, sign petitions. You know, we, we need to do everything we can to kick up a fuss on this over the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And like the 
as, as I've said, and listeners will be well aware, I'm banging on about there's a, a petition up on Uplift as well, uh, which I set up with Uplift in terms oh, of yeah. um, we're, we're almost at heading towards 5000 signatures now. And we'll, you know, we'll be delivering that in the next couple of weeks as well. That's over on myuplift.ie forward slash petitions forward slap forward slap forward slash keep the ban on evictions um and um i i think as well the the other side of it i i do think it is a really really for themselves you know what this is going to leave in terms of the legacy on the government um but i think the human scale of what is going to emerge and i was really struck by um it was jared howland's article in the irish times today about um this, you know, his description of, you know, it was the right decision. I don't know if you got a chance to look at that. It I actually, didn't see that. Don't read it. It will make your blood boil. Um, he, he refers to like, you know, families being ejected um, as, you know, that there, there might be some kind of, resp- you know, uh, whatever uproar or response to a few, you know, a number of high profile families being ejected. And I was just like, wow, the level of disconnect mm. um from the human impact and the ignoring of the human impact of the the uh, the decision was really just struck me as you know there is a huge disconnect between the privileged groups and those who have no connection to people who are going to experience this um, and as I said on the late late you know I, I do believe there isn't a valuing and it's evidence there's not a valuing of yeah. you and others who, who face this eviction as being equal citizens of this republic there's not Um that you know the fact that they can do this um i think though i i have never seen i was trying to think through i was thinking back to some of the austerity decisions and the cuts and probably the cuts to the lone parent supports yeah was probably the closest that something so unnecessary cruel was yeah and, and even the the ideological kind of accompaniment to that where they where they described it as we're we're going for the low hanging fruit yeah like you're talking yeah. about families, you're talking about children. Yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's it's the, it, almost low hanging fruit. Sounds like oh, it's the most convenient decision to make to go after yeah. those people. You know, yeah. it's just yeah, it was callous. Yeah, but, but, but this is different again. I think, and yeah. I think that the difference as well is that um, it doesn't just actually affect you know those who are in very vulnerable situations who will go into homelessness. It also affects professionals. It affects yeah. teachers, it affects, you know, nurses, doctors, uh, fi- you know, tech people who are working in tech who, you know, are facing eviction as well. And and literally, you know, their deposits will be eaten up by this. They're going to emigrate as a result. They're just going, why the hell would I live in this country when, you know, they're, as I was talking to one teacher recently on the podcast going, you know, I can't save for anything while I'm renting. So therefore, why would I stay? And they, they left to go to Emirates, you know. To, well, that's the to, thing. You look at like a country like Sweden, where uh, my wife was from Sweden. So her yeah. family were in shock that we were being evicted because you can't evict people on grounds of sale. That's just the law in Sweden. And they would find the debates that are happening here on the media remarkable. Their heads would be spinning watching people say, oh, no, you can't you can't outlaw, outlaw eviction on grounds of sale. But in 14 other European countries, they have. It's no surprise. And again, in Sweden, I mean, they built uh, a million public homes in the 60s and the 70s, uh, although it slowed down, obviously, in subsequent decades. But those million homes that they built in the 60s and 70s have basically given them a huge stock of public housing. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why the waiting list in Sweden is still two years for public housing. Uh, and they don't have a threshold. 
So you get an engineer living next door to a nurse, living next door to a doctor, living next door to an unemployed person. They achieve a social mix, not by gifting public land to private developers, as often happens here. They achieve social mix by not having thresholds on public housing and by having lots of public housing. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that, you know, alongside this, in terms of the, the ending of the eviction ban, that we need to get the ramping up of, of public housing. And you know, we're seeing commencements, which is the new home building fall. And it's it's been presented. There's, it's been I was seeing the Banking and Payments Federation today. We're presenting the data on it and they were spinning it differently. They were saying that, oh, there was 30,000 uh, built last year. And it's likely to be 27,000 uh, this year, which is, you yeah. know, highest ever since 2008. And you're actually going, but that's a fall. You know, that's a year on year fall and the commencements are falling. Planning permissions are falling yeah. because investor funds are not forward purchasing now. The the funds are not building the um, apartments. They yeah. leave 80,000 planning permissions sitting there because the investor funds and the the uh, corporate landlords are basically saying, well, it's not quite profitable enough for us to guarantee and, and they can't access finance. The developers can't access the finance to build. Um, so they're pushing for the government to bail them out. But the obvious thing that we should be doing is compulsory purchasing those uh, that yeah. land with the planning permissions on it and, and to build rapidly and to be setting up a, you know, a public construction company, a public home building agency to build that um the like the housing fraud plan now is is completely like between its targets being too low to the the hole in its uh at its core now in terms of it was completely reliant on investor fund financing to finance yeah. building and construction that's gone now and yeah. well not gone but substantially being reduced um so i think that there has to be and and i am hearing some discussion around that you know that there needs to be a whole emergency measures but yet we're not um you know, we're not seeing it and it's not going to be soon enough for you. And that's the thing, like, as you said, that uh, not only compulsory purchase of land, and, uh, but, but like the purchase of buildings. So, for example, our building here, you know, you've got 35 uh, units here and there's nine vacant. There's 26 households still left here. And we're having to fight Dublin City Council, even though the housing minister uh, put out a circular saying that, uh, whether or not tenants are on the social housing list, they should uh, use the extended tenant in situ uh, or they should work with approved housing bodies. The housing minister's exact word was for bespoke models of porches. Uh, and yet we're still getting excuses from Dublin City Council. And the Ivy Trust has even expressed interest in our building. They said they would be interested because it's in their heartland. And still Dublin City Council are dragging their feet and saying, no, 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 we don't know the composition of tenants or, you know, they're just making excuses. Uh, and so it's been very difficult for us. Uh, and so you're saying that the Ivy Trust has expressed an interest in purchasing the property that you They said in, they which... would be interested in tiny houses, social and affordable housing. So that was their exact, they said yes. Uh, and uh, Dublin City Council tell us that the Ivy Trust were interested because it's in their heartland. And yet Dublin City Council's excuses at the moment are, we don't know the composition of the tenants in Panios. So I sent them an email with all but five tenants listed, so they know who's here. Uh, but also Dara O'Brien has issued a circular saying whether or not people are on the housing list, that they should still try and keep people in their, uh, homes, in their homes. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, 
And then the, thirdly, they're saying that, you know, the landlord hasn't engaged with the city council, but I don't know to what extent they've tried to contact our landlord. And also, uh, I think, uh, sorry, yeah, just after the RTB case, if we go to the RTB and the eviction falls because he's trying to evict more than 10, you know, on the grounds of Tyrrellstown, that, you know, you can't evict yeah. five units all in one go. If we win at the RTB, he might be far more amenable to selling the building to the council. So, But it's just very stressful in this situation that, you know, as you said, we need to be purchasing land. We need to be purchasing buildings. If there's a slow rate of, uh, you know, public housing uh, commencements and public housing coming online, then they should be purchasing existing apartments. Of course, of course. People. Because the thing about it is that, you know, part of the decline of landlords, you know, the, the withdrawal of landlords, and, and we don't exactly know. We know there's been the increase in property of sale that was yeah. formerly owned by landlords. But we also know that doesn't equate to the amount of landlords that are leaving the market, which also suggests that they are turning property into Airbnbs. Yeah. Um, or leaving them vacant for two years so then they can re-lease them at a higher higher rent. Um, and of course, the other thing that's going on here, we know, is that if you can evict a tenant and somehow either, you know, not abide by the rules or, you know, or hope that your new tenant doesn't abide by the rules or even sell it on, yeah. then you can charge the market rent. And yeah. so there is this is part of as well a strategy of trying to where places have are in a rent pressure um zone. And of course, this is what landlords are complaining about all the time, is that um they can't charge the market rent and therefore who would be a landlord now because they're you know it's capped at two percent a year and it yeah. might be let's say a thousand euro when the market rent is two thousand euro. And of course, again, you follow through the logic. So what are you arguing then that everyone should be charged two grand a month? Well, sure, then you're going to see homelessness like what we're going to see now with the evictions because people can't afford that. So yeah. there's no logic to even that argument. And But I think that the point, though, is that, and, and I've heard, like, and there are landlords who aren't multiple property owners, but they're generally people who who bought, you know, bought their own home, then got together with a couple and they have two homes and they've held on to one of them and they are selling and they're going, I don't want to evict who's living in my house. And they've approached the council and said, will you buy it off me? Yeah. And like in your situation, like the figure from the Irish Times saying that uh, Dublin City Council was offered 400 plus properties and only has bought 18. Um, like what's That's going ridiculous. on there? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think I think it comes down to some because people. Because at, like, at, at a national level, we're hearing the government, Department of Housing are saying, yes, we want councils to buy it. Yeah. So why then are councils not implementing government policy? Yeah, and I think that they, they play this game of, of bouncing back and forth between the council and the government. And, and it's a sly game. And they and they know they play this game because the managers in the council are, are wed to this kind of neoliberal idea that the council doesn't direct purchase. The council doesn't want direct tenants. You know, e e even in the situation where there could be a chance of our block being purchased, they want to do it through an approved housing body because the council doesn't want more direct tenants. You know, they want to farm as much uh, out as possible. So that so like because the the argument is why is the council not doing it? So what you're saying is that because you're in it, you're in a situation where you're saying to the council, why don't you buy it? Like what? So they're essentially like giving excuses as yeah. to why they're not doing it. It's and not even that... even when the minister, even when the minister says you right, you do have permission because the the argument we were getting a few weeks ago on Tatney House was, you know, what do we do about tenants that are above the social housing list threshold? 
which is too low anyway. But they were arguing, listen, there's some tenants in tiny house who aren't entitled to social housing. So and we can't we, buy it because so they we, won't be social housing tenants. Yeah, exactly. And there's no funding stream to have tenants that would be paying whatever their previous rent was or close to market rent. Yeah. Whereas now Dara O'Brien has said, you know, you can actually purchase uh, blocks with mixed tenancies, yeah. you know, and you can actually purchase properties where people are above the housing list. And also we found out that in Leaside, you know, the apartment block that was purchased in Cork, yeah. uh, there were nine tenants in Leaside who were above the social or affordable. They were above the thresholds for social housing. And they just continued to pay Cluid, the approved housing body. They just continued to pay the level of rent that they were paying uh, previous to the purchase. And there was yeah. no problem there. The yeah. block in Leaside Apartments in Cork was bought by Cluid, facilitated by Cork County Council, and they used what's called CAF funding, which is social housing funds. There was no complexity. There was no complication. And actually, it came down to the willingness of the housing manager in Cork County Council to facilitate that purchase. So I, I like I would say to Colleen O'Reilly, who's the housing manager in Dublin City Council, that if you were willing to, we could proceed uh, in terms of saving the people in Tatney House from homelessness. Uh, so it comes down to the, the book kind of stops with the council management. Because yeah, like the Leaside thing was facilitated before we had the record homelessness we have now. That was a number of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but and it seems such like an obvious thing that the tenant in situ scheme and, and and of course when I was again on the late late with Mary Fitzpatrick, she was trying to say that oh, but we have the tenant in situ scheme now and yeah. and um uh, uh Darrell Bryan will say it every time he's wheeled out and every Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael politicians say oh and the Green Party we have the tenant in situ scheme and you're going okay you have it, but local authorities aren't doing it. And you're yeah. right, it is because they have this ideological opposition, but also policy opposition for 30 years have been told you no longer do social housing. Yeah, exactly. Because I do remember this, this is a whole argument around public-private partnerships years ago, councils saying that, oh, we don't want to do social housing anymore because the Department of Housing never gives us enough funding to do it. And they tell us, oh, you have to manage yeah. it. And we end up dealing with the problems of under-maintained housing estates so we're like, well, no, we're not going to deal with your problem as in your unwillingness to fund this properly. So yeah. it's like, you're right, it, it's not just a game with them. They're all, well, it is a, it is effectively a game, but they're like fighting with each other because the council exactly, is saying, yeah. oh, oh, you're telling us now to buy all these properties, but who's going to fund the maintenance of it? And are you going to, you know, actually give us the funding for it? Or is this tell us to do it and then we have to take the funding from some other part of the council to actually cover the funding? Because you'll tell us at the end of the year, oh, we actually didn't allocate that amount. And, you know, and when you think of developments like Dolphin House that go so slowly and every tiny yeah. thing has to be passed by the Department of Housing, you're now telling us we have an open checkbook to buy whatever you know, whatever we need. And up to now, you've been telling us every little cent is, has to be passed through five sets of architects and seven quantity surveyors before anything is done. Um, and of course, the, the, the local authorities themselves are, like, they don't have the resources in terms of going around, they, they could if they allocated it, but they don't, I imagine, going around assessing all these places and, um, you know, making sure that uh, they have staff to cover it, which of course goes back to to the under under resourcing of councils but to me it does seem like they need to suspend the rules they just suspend the rules and just buy the property and you could work it out afterwards if there is tenants who are in a position to buy which well, sure, are great 
then you can make money. Like in the, the state can make money by supporting someone to buy their own home. Like it, it seems it's a win-win. Like it doesn't have to be every property that's bought, the council hangs onto it or a housing. So they could sell some to the tenants as well. That I think that though all those rules that the councils need to be told, and obviously you're saying that they're playing the game back with the department, but the department needs to be honest and the ministry needs to be honest and say, look, we'll deal with whatever this this is required. Yeah, so yeah, I, that, that's why I, I really think that what we need, like our approach to housing hasn't been the same approach we took to say, for example, the pandemic, where there's yeah. this oncoming potential social catastrophe um, and that was a potential social catastrophe if we didn't take action, whereas the housing crisis is an actual social catastrophe that's manifesting before our eyes. And they won't take the kind of emergency measures. Whereas you said, you say, right, you know, we're declaring an absolute national emergency. We're mobilizing all yeah. our resources to try and sort this out. And whatever we told you before, we're throwing that out. You know, throw out the old rule book, exactly. throw out the neoliberal rule book. Yeah. We're starting from we're starting now um, with this emergency approach to solving the housing crisis. So, as you said, w- without that kind of um, government taking responsibility in yeah. that field, yeah. in a deeper sense, you know, we're taking yeah. responsibility yeah. for this and we're going to declare a housing emergency and we're going to mobilize every possible you know resource we can to fix this. Uh, without that kind of response, you're, yeah, as you said, you're going to have councils who are like, you know, are we just setting up future dolphin houses? You know, like exactly. I said, just run into the ground. And uh, it was only because the tenants themselves were able to get organized and kick up a fuss that they got, you know, the regeneration and stuff like that. And, and the same was true in other uh, council estates. So, yeah, yeah it, we do, we, without that overall overarching emergency response to the housing crisis. Um, yeah, it, it, you're, you're going to have this right. and you know, where you're constantly tr- having to fight for them to use the tenant in situ. Uh, you know, so th- the funding's there, but each individual tenant has to still fight to get access to it. Yeah, yeah, and and it seems to me like a really, it's it's a significant policy change, um, to start doing this to buy up these properties on a, on a significant scale, and it would be very very welcome. And I think it's a real, it's at the core of the solution and the other thing it's it's actually very good value for money because it's actually cheaper to buy than build at yeah. the moment and in in terms of some properties and a lot of these properties um they're cheaper to buy than build um, yeah. and it, it just and, and you save the money on you're not spending money on emergency accommodation and you're actually gaining you know an asset that will provide a rent to the state into the future um so it, it really seems that, and, and again, this is the point of extending the eviction ban for a year because you can work all this out and you can, you know, what, what you can ensure that actually nobody goes into homelessness and the people are kept in their homes, even people on, you know, professionals who could actually be supported, you know, to buy their own home as well. And that, of course, as I said earlier, is a, is a cost benefit to the state as well. And I, I just think that, um, I think that if they go ahead with this, they are really just, it, it is just horrific. And I think they will suffer politically as a result. And obviously people are going to suffer and you're going to suffer. Um, and I suppose it just, it shows the need for all of us to really, I suppose, work as hard as we can and raise our voice in whatever we can to try and see, can it be changed? That's exactly it. We just need to protest in every which way we can, sign petitions, you know, 
go talk to politicians, join the protests at the Dáil, join a tenants union like Katu, but just do something, you know, to push this back. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, James, thanks so much for coming on and uh, cheers for sending me the message. And uh, I had been meaning to reach out to you again since we had you on last. Uh, you have been doing incredible work to try and, um, you know, get Tathany House bought um, by the councillor, by a housing association. And um, hopefully it will be. And I, I think, um, you know, really all power to you and uh, the group. And hopefully we will get the eviction ban extended and, and these other measures um put in place and i feel that the crisis has gone so bad that you know the emergency response is needed and hopefully that is what we'll we'll get through thanks many thanks james and uh, as listeners thank you so much um we have been talking to a number of people in the last week or so in terms of their experience renters uh what they're faced as a result of the eviction ban and we have prioritized this as as you know we've done a fair few podcasts on it because I do feel that it is one of the worst uh, decisions a government, an Irish government, has ever made in this country, and uh, one of the most cruel. Um, when when it's avoidable, uh, absolutely avoidable, and I think we all should be utterly ashamed and angered by what they're doing. So I said, you can go sign the petition, my uplift forward slash uh, petitions forward slash keep the ban on evictions. The raise the roof protest um, is on the twenty first, which is next this coming um, Tuesday when the Sinn Fein motion goes to the doll um to call on the government to uh, extend the ban and then as well there's also there's the Katu tenants union as well if people want to if they can get involved and support them I know they're they're doing work and they will be doing work supporting tenants avoid eviction and I know James as well will be doing more protests over Tathany House as well so plenty to do plenty to get involved with uh, thank you so much and we will talk to you all very very soon <laughs>